0: Well, if you would, at this time, take your Bible, if you have one, and turn it to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah in chapter number 6, and uh, as you're turning there, if you're able to stand, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah chapter number 6, and we're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 9 of this chapter, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. And we'll stop there this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that declares who you are. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would just guide this time in a very special way. Lord, thank you for all that's transpired already in this service, for the wonderful music and the time of prayer. But now, Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that you would speak to us very clearly. Uh, regarding who you are and your will for us, and uh, we pray, Lord, you'd guide and direct in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Well, the title of the message this morning is "God is still on the throne," and uh, as I was thinking about that, I, I, I would safely say that I've heard the phrase "God is still on the throne" more times this year and. 2020 than in any other year of my life. I mean, this year we have needed to be reminded over and over again that God is uh, still on the throne, He still rules, and He still reigns, and that He is in complete control, even though everything around us is nothing short of chaotic. With all that has transpired this year, I think even back to uh, early February when the tragic accident that took place just down the street over at Moore High School, which ended up taking the life of three high school students. They're on that Monday afternoon. Was God still on the throne then? Yes, He was still on the throne. Then this world completely and radically changed when something called COVID-19 happened. Our entire country and most of the world was on lockdown for several weeks. Hand sanitizer and toilet paper were more valuable than gold during that crazy time. Do you remember that? Well, was God still on the throne and control during that? Yes. Then our country headed into a very strange season of racial tension and turmoil. Many cities were damaged greatly through riots and looting, all in the name of racial equality. It was indeed a chaotic time, but was God still on the throne? Yes, He was. How about during Ice Storm 2020 here in Oklahoma, which took place not long ago? Hundreds of thousands of people were without power for multiple, ta- for multiple days. Even our building right here was without power for 13 long days. Praise the Lord we're able to meet, into it, meet in this room today. Uh, People lost trees, fences, some have tremendous house damage. Where was God? Uh, He was actually right where he always is, on his throne and in complete control. What about the uh, presidential election? Almost two weeks after the votes were cast and still no clear winner, no matter what the mainstream media wants to say, because they don't get to declare the winner in the first place. Uh, But uh, with the uncertainty regarding the future of our country, where is God? Well, right there on his throne. What about the seasons of craziness going on in your individual life? Is he still on the throne? Yes, he is. The Bible declares in Psalm 93 and verse number 1, The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Psalm 97 and verse 1 says, The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Psalm 99 and verse number 1 declares, The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. Yes, my friend, I'm glad to report to you this morning that God is still on the throne. Isaiah had the amazing privilege of being able to see this spectacular and awesome. And when we we say the word awesome a lot, really... Uh, awesome was an accurate, this is an accurate usage of that word as we talk about the throne room of God. And Isaiah had the privilege of seeing the Lord there in that throne room, the Lord of glory here in chapter number six. And so this morning we're going to study the passage that we just read and uh, learn that God is still indeed on the throne and, and learn what that means for our lives today and in the days to come. So, First of all, I would like you to notice with me uh, this morning as we look at Isaiah chapter number 6. First of all, Isaiah was comforted. Isaiah was comforted. If you notice in verse number 1 where uh, Isaiah is writing this and he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. You see, King Uzziah was one of the most powerful kings for good in Judah's history. I'm gonna ask you or invite you to turn over to 2nd Chronicles chapter 26 to learn a little bit about this King Uzziah. 2 Chronicles chapter number 26. And in verse number one of 2 Chronicles 26, it says, Then all the people of Judah took. Uzziah, who was 16 years old and made him king in the room of his father, Amaziah. Do we have any 16-year-olds here this morning? Okay, Addy, and if Seth were here this morning, he would also raise his hand. He is also 16. So can you imagine Seth Johnson being the president of the United States right now? Oh, that is a scary thought, my friend. And uh, Seth, I hope you're watching. He's at home not feeling great, so... Uh, Can you imagine 16-year-old? Well, Uzziah was 16 years old when he was made king of Judah. Verse 2 says, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Jecoliai of Jerusalem, and he did that, verse 4, which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So as long as he kept seeking the Lord, God prospered the the path of Uzziah. Verse number six, he went forth, warred against the wall of Gath, wall of uh, Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod, and built cities about Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians that dwelt in uh, Gerbal and the Mahuans. And the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah. And his name spread ab- abroad, even to the entering in of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the turning of the wall and fortified them. Also, he built towers in the desert and dig many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains, husbandmen also, and vine dressers, in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. Moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men that went out to war by bands, according to the number of their account, by the hand of Jehiel the scribe and uh, Messiah the ruler under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The whole number of the chief of the fathers of the mighty men of valor were 2,600. Verse 13, and under their hand was an army 300,000, made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the hosts shields and spears and helmets and habrons and bows and slings to cast stones. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal, and his name spread abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So here we see Uzziah was a a tremendous king in the history of Judah. And in many ways, King Uzziah made Judah great again. Uh, Things prospered greatly under his rule. I mean, uh, the economy was booming. The military was strengthened. Uh, he was uh, respected again among the foreign lands. It makes me, do you see any of the parallels to what we're going through right now? Uh, as great as King Uzziah was, he was not perfect. Let's keep reading here. In verse number 16, but when he was strong, his heart was Lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. So he kind of got proud and thinking, "Well, I, I'm such a strong king. I deserve to do what I want to do, and so I get to go into the temple and, and uh, and burn incense. Well, that wasn't his place." Verse seventeen. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. So when uh, Azariah noticed the king going into the temple to burn incense. He said, we got a, we got a, we got a problem, folks. And so he got 80 uh, brave priests to go in with him to confront the king. Verse 18, they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It uh, appertaineth not unto the Uzziah to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. Then Uzziah was wroth. He got mad. He's like, hey, I deserve to be here. I'm the king. King Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. Nazariah, the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, he... Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. He was embarrassed. Uh, He was the strong king who now had leprosy. And here's a sad thought here in verse 21. Uzziah the king was a leper until the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So in his latter days, Uzziah basically lived by himself as a leper because he got lifted up in pride. And then verse 22 says, Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and the last, did Isaiah the prophet, uh, the son of Amos, write. And then verse 23, So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial, which belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper, and Jotham his son reigned in his stead. So we just read a whole chapter of the Bible together, didn't we? But here's the life of Uzziah, and here was the king that, uh, basically, if we turn back over to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, where it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, the year that he was, that, that, that Isaiah, this young prophet, uh, was going through a time of tremendous discouragement because King Uzziah, while he was not perfect, was a tremendously good king and accomplished great and mighty things there in Judah. And now he's off the scene. Now he's gone. And Isaiah is a little down and discouraged. It had been a rough year for him. So the Lord allows this young prophet into the throne room of God to get a glimpse of the one who is still on the throne. And this ends up being a great comfort, knowing that God still rules and reigns. Uzziah might not be on the throne, but God still is on his. And uh, today, as we consider the potential for the future of our country, I don't think anybody in the room or anybody on the planet really knows exactly what's going to happen with the election. I know we all have watched certain things, and we all have learned a lot about the election process and the possibility of uh, all the different things that could happen. But regardless of what happens and uh, who's on the throne, so to speak, here in the White House, more important to understand for us this morning is that God is still on His throne, and He's not about to leave anytime soon. And so today, if, if you've had a rough year, if your finances aren't as good as they were a year ago, if your health has started to give out on you, if your family relationships are, are not as swimmingly as they once were, if you're a little down and discouraged about the future of our nation, can I encourage you today to look up and see the Lord sitting upon a throne? And guess what? He's there today, and he's going to still be there tomorrow too. And let this be a comfort and an encouragement to you like it was to uh, Isaiah's. He was discouraged when Uzziah died and was off the scene. He's like, man, but he was such a great king. He accomplished so much. I mean, this is a bummer that he's gone. Yeah, that might be the case. But uh, look and see the Lord sitting upon his throne. Let that be a comfort to you. First Chronicles 29 and verse number 10. Here, David bless the Lord. And he said, uh, before all the congregation, and said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. He said, Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all and all that in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. David said, Lord, it doesn't matter who's the king of any nation, you rule and reign over all. So, God is still on the throne. And uh, Isaiah was comforted when he realized that was the case. But I see not only was Isaiah... Comforted, but I see secondly that Isaiah was confronted. He was confronted. As he sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, he sees the Lord for who God really is. He was confronted with a couple things about God, and and I want us to be confronted with those same things this morning. First of all, Isaiah was confronted with God's position. Verse number one, he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. So as he has this vision of the of the Lord's throne room, and and uh, we don't know exactly what it was, whether it was a dream, whether it was a uh, the the Lord transported him. I don't know uh, what what it was that the Lord did to make him see this. But either way, when he saw the throne of God, it was not. On the same plane as he was. It was high and lifted up. It was an exalted position. And uh, God is above all. And I want to remind us that uh, it does matter what happens here in our country. Absolutely. And I am concerned. And I'm trying to minimize uh, what's going on. But at the same time, God rules and reigns over all. His throne is above all. He's high and lifted up. Psalm 97 and verse number 9 says, For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth, thou art exalted above all gods. So yes, King Uzziah being gone was a bummer, but you know what? It doesn't really matter too much because God is on the throne and he still rules and reigns and he's never going to get leprosy and leave and uh, be uh, cast aside. No, no. God's going to stay on his throne and rule and reign for eternity. Philippians 2, 9 says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. You see, he is high and lifted up. Ephesians 1 and verse number 20. This is uh, three verses here I'm going to read to you. If you want to turn over there, you're welcome to. Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 22. It's it's too good to not read this verse and to look at this this passage of Scripture. I hear Paul saying uh, about Christ, when he raised him from the dead, when God raised his son from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. You name whatever name you want to name in this world, uh, a, a man's name, and I guarantee his name is more important and higher. Uh, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Look, my friend, he is high above all. And uh, I want to remind us this morning, and to be confronted with the fact that God's position is high and lifted up. I know we put some stock in in who our next leader is, and it's it, it's a worthy discussion, and, and I've preached on it and, and talked about it, but at the same time, ultimately, God is still on his throne, and his throne is high and lifted up, and he is above all. Uh, I think it was uh, maybe a little bit of a, I don't know, an irony or a little jab, because remember, Israel... Uh, really wanted to be just like every other nation and to have a king just like everybody else. It's kind of like, you know, I remember in seventh grade, I wanted to wear uh, a certain brand of shoes. It was the, the Vans. Anybody wear Vans shoes? Okay, thank you. Some cool people are in the house today. Thankful for that. I really wanted, I really, just to make you aware, they were in existence a long time ago as well. So, anyway. Um, But uh, I remember when I was in 7th grade, I wanted to wear shoes just like my my friend. And uh, I just wanted to be just like him. And uh, I'm telling you, I don't really even know why I brought that up. But uh, (laughs) I wanted to be just like him, and uh, I have no idea where I was going with that. It's not in my notes, so that's always dangerous to veer from my notes. Let me get back to my notes. So he was confronted with God's position. God's position is high above all, and you might know where I was going better than I do. Anyway... Uh, next thought though, Isaiah was not only confronted with God's position, but he was confronted with God's purity, God's purity. And we sang a song a little bit ago in our service on holy, holy, holy. And that is highlighted in a tremendous way in this particular passage. In uh, verse number one, he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. I mean, this train, it wasn't like a choo-choo train. It was a part of his uh, clothing that filled the temple. It was so uh, ornate and elaborate that it it filled the temple. And verse 2 says, above it stood the seraphims. These are created angels, and Brother Randy alluded to them uh, when he introduced that song. But above it stood the seraphims, these angels, and each one had six wings uh, with Two of them, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One commentator uh, mentioned the purpose of all those wings, and uh, I'd like to read it to you. He says, each of the seraphim had six wings, three pairs. With the first pair, they covered their faces. These were the wings of reverence, manifesting the deepest reverence for the glorious king. And by this act, the seraphim testified that they were not worthy to behold the king in his glory. The second pair of wings expressed their deep humility. By covering their feet with them, they testified that they were not worthy to be seen by the king, nor to serve him. But the third pair of wings were used for flying. They were the wings of obedience and readiness to serve. At the command of their king, they flew and with lightning speed carried out his holy will. And so these seraphims there were a testimony to God's holiness uh, in just the, the fact that the wings covered their faces and their feet to signify they were not worthy to behold the king who sat upon that throne. But then not only were their wings testimony to that, but also their words were testimony to that. In uh, verse number 3, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And notice as they say this, the verse 4 says, And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So were they whispering, holy, holy, holy? I think it was loud. And the Bible says they cried one to another. This was so powerful and so intense that the very uh, posts of the doors shook when they began to cry out to one another about God's holiness. Revelation 4 and verse number 8 is the other reference uh, in the Bible that we see God's holiness mentioned three times. Here's what it says about that. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So for every day and every night, they do not take a break. They do not take a vacation. They don't take a nap. They don't take a uh, they, they, day and night, and they do not rest. And their whole purpose is to say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. That's God's holiness, that for day and night they cry aloud, and uh, so much so that the door posts move. Amazing. God was, or Isaiah was confronted with God's purity at this point. Now, why is the word holy uttered three times? In English, we emphasize with italics, underlining, or inflections. But the Hebrew language possesses an unusual way of expressing its comparatives and superlatives. Comparatives are repeated twice. Examples are when Paul uh, said this, Rejoice, and again I said rejoice. So that's repeating twice. Or when Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that's saying it twice. The superlatives are repeated three times, and the repetition of holy, holy, holy is expressing an ultimate truth about God. Uh, Only a handful of occasions does the Bible repeat or elevate something in the third or superlative degree, and it does so about the holiness of God, both here and again in Revelation 4 and verse number 8. You see, God is not simply holy or even holy, holy. He is the thrice holy God. The seraphim, the beings in closest proximity to God and most familiar with His presence, with what God is like, proclaim that holiness is the fullest expression of who and what the Lord is. That's right. I, you may have heard this, and uh, I know I have many, many times. People refer to God as the big man upstairs or the big guy in the sky. Uh, actually, He is the Holy One. He is the Lord of glory. He's not just the big man upstairs. You're not going to go give him a big high five when you go see him. He's God. And he's holy, holy, holy. Psalm 99 and verse number 9, we read it a moment ago. uh, When we, uh, right before our prayer time... Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. 1 Samuel 2.2 There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Exodus 15 and verse 11 Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Our God is holy, and Isaiah is confronted with who God was in his position and who God was in his nature. And as a result of that, we see next, Isaiah was convicted. Isaiah was convicted in verse number five. Here's Isaiah's response to the confrontation that he just gets by seeing the Lord high and lifted up, by understanding God's holiness. He said, woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah had just seen the glory of God. I mean, that must have been exciting, right? Must have been a wonderful experience. Couldn't wait to tell everybody about it and post about it on social media. I just saw the glory of God. How exciting! How wonderful! No, actually, I think of the, other, the others in the Bible who saw the glory of God and their responses when they saw God's glory. I think of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1 records when Ezekiel was given a vision of the Lord, and at the end of it, here's what he said. And when I saw it, referring to the vision that God gave him of who God's glory, or what God's glory was all about, when I saw it, I fell upon my face. At the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured right before their very eyes, Peter, James, and John, and His face did shine as the sun, and His raiment was white as the light. After hearing the voice of uh, God the Father say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye Him. Peter, James, and John, the Bible says, fell down on their face. In Revelation chapter 1, when John, uh, the of disciple uh, gets a vision of who God is. And uh, verse, well, it's kind of a lengthy passage. A- after, uh, for sake of time, I'll just skip to the end of it. After he sees uh, the one who uh, Jesus Christ in all of his glory, the, the Bible says his ha- head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto brass, as if they burned in a furnace. His voice is the sound of many waters. His countenance was as the sun shineth in the strength, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. So instead of being excited about seeing the glory of God, he was deeply convicted of his own sinfulness. We have taken God down off of his high and lifted up throne and brought him down, and, and I praise the Lord that in a sense he did come down and walk among us, but it does not, Negate who he really is. So instead of being excited about seeing the glory of God, Isaiah was deeply convicted of his own sinfulness. And as he became aware of God's holiness and purity, he became more aware of his own lack of holiness and purity. Um, I'm wearing a white dress shirt this morning. I'll take off my jacket so you can see it. This is one of my newer white shirts. I have some older white dress shirts, and uh, they're white, uh, but after time, you know, you wear them and you wash them, and they eventually start to get a little on the dingy side. And it's not because my wife doesn't know how to do laundry, it's because I'm a dingy, dirty guy, okay? That's why. And uh, after time, though, after a couple years, these white shirts lose their whiteness, And uh, you think it's, you know, you you compare it to a gray shirt. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a white shirt. But then it's time to buy a new white shirt, and I get this one, and I compare it to the other white shirt, and I'm like, wow, that is way dingy. Because here's a brand-new white shirt that looks really bright. So it is with us. You might compare yourself with those around you and say, oh, I'm pretty clean. But then when you take a moment and compare yourself to the ultimate standard, the Lord, you're going, okay, I'm actually not as clean as I should be. Isaiah, I think, was in that same situation. Because we're in Isaiah chapter 6, if you go back a chapter to chapter 5, we see Isaiah issuing some woes to those around him. Uh, Look in verse number eight of chapter five. He says, woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field till there be no place, that they be uh, placed alone in the earth. Look in verse 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink that continue until night, till wine inflame them. Verse number 18, woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were a cart rope or with a cart rope. Verse 20, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse 21, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Verse 22, woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. So he issues six different woes to those around him. And I imagine there was probably maybe potentially a critical spirit as he was doing that. Maybe a holier-than-thou mentality where, hey, I'm not like you all, and so I'm going to issue some woes to you. So he compares himself with those around him, but then in chapter 6, he's confronted with the ultimate standard, with the holiest, the holy, holy, holy one. And he goes, there's one more woe I need to issue, and it's to this guy right here. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There was great conviction in his heart. Conviction is actually a blessing, because it leads us to repentance. At least it should and so today, I, I hope that there's something maybe that God is convicting you about. Great. Let, let God lead you then to repentance, to get right with Him. But we need to be careful not to compare ourselves among ourselves, to compare ourselves uh, to the Lord. That's right, amen. Because too often we kind of think, well, we're better than you, or I'm better than you. When really, it doesn't really matter whether I'm better than you or not. It matters where I am with the Lord and uh, Isaiah had to get right with him on that and so Isaiah was convicted but then I see number four and I praise the Lord for this thought and Isaiah was cleansed Isaiah was cleansed in verse number six the Bible says then flew one of the seraphims unto me having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. He he was about ready to serve the Lord, and we know that because he was a prophet of God, and he wrote the book of uh, Isaiah, and the Lord used him in a great way. But before he really could get going in his ministry, he had to get right with God. He had to be cleansed. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 20 says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You know what Isaiah said is, Hey, I do want to serve you, Lord, but I need to first be a clean vessel for you to use. And so... God wants to use all of us this morning. The question is, are we clean vessels? Have we been cleansed through, yes, salvation, but as believers, are we uh, making sure that we're clean and right so that God can use us and we're the vessels that he can use? And we're meat for the master's use. We can be cleansed through confession. God's given us a pathway for cleansing. In 1 John 1 and verse number 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, we learned in this in our Sunday school class, we looked at Proverbs 28 and verse 13, which says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Uh, you see, Isaiah, as he was confronted with, God's holiness and his purity, he realized his own impurity and he could have just ran away, but instead he said, woe is me and I want to get right. And then this seraphim, I can just, we we mentioned the the two wings that he used to fly. God said, okay, seraphim, go take off uh, a coal from the altar And the seraphim flew over and did exactly what the Lord had bid bid him to do. Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. What a beautiful thing to have said about you is your sin has been purged from your account. It's no longer there in your life. It's been taken away. Amen. We can be cleansed through confession, but we can also be cleansed by spending daily time in God's word. John 15 and verse number 3, Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, Jesus said. One of the things that we were, we've were, we been trying to encourage, and I think he's kind of got it now, but uh, with Mark taking showers, we had to teach him to actually use soap when he's in the shower. He'd come out of the shower we're like, Hey, did you use soap? And he's like, Oh, I knew I forgot something. Because he would be playing in the shower, you know and uh, he'd he'd clog the drain so that it would fill up, and he'd just play in the bath while the shower's going, and he'd just lose track of why he was in there in the first place. (laughs) It's not a playtime, it's a cleaning time. Using soap is important, and as believers, we need to use soap, and and, uh, the detergent, the soap that God's given us is his word. We need to constantly, uh, you know, yeah, you can go a day without a shower, two days, maybe, Okay, Luke, don't get any ideas. But uh, you go, you go a, length, a length of time without a shower, it becomes kind of noticeable. When, when I don't take time in God's word for a day, you know, two days, three days, four days, it starts to get noticeable. Uh, my attitude starts to really start to smell bad. Uh, I'm short with my family members I I, I don't have a good spirit. Why, I need the detergent of God's Word in my heart on a daily basis. So do you. So do you. But it's not enough to just read the Word of God. We must also obey it. Psalm 119, verse number 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? That's a great question. How can we cleanse our path? How can we cleanse our lives? And he answers it by saying, by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. By obeying God's word. It's not enough to just read it. We've got to do it. And so that's the encouragement for all of us this morning is to be cleansed just like Isaiah was. And one of the ways we can be cleansed. Uh, as believers, is to uh, confess our sins when there is sin in our life and by spending daily time in God's Word and obeying it. But we see, fifthly, uh, this morning, not only all the things we've talked about, but Isaiah was also called. In verse number 8, he says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You know, before uh, he was cleansed, he wasn't able to hear the call. But now that he's cleansed, now the Lord can call him. Now the Lord can send him. And now he's able to hear the voice of the Lord a little clearly. That's right, amen. And so uh, this morning, the question is, have you heard the call? Do you want to hear the call? And are you willing to hear the call? By the way, as a side note, uh Verse 8 is a, one of the many proof texts regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, verse number 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I and us. Uh, indicating that there's uh, three persons of the Trinity. Uh, holy, 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 by the way. One for each uh, member of the Trinity. One for God the Father, one for God the Son, one for God the Holy Spirit. Also, there's three names of God in this chapter as well. Uh, in, in verse number uh, one, we see uh, the Lord with no capital letters, well, capital L. And then in uh, verse number five, and uh, we see the Lord of hosts with capital letters. And then in verse number 12, we see um, Lord again. Uh, let's see, there was one more, I think, and I can't find it now. Oh, verse, yeah, verse number 12, just capital, uh, Lord. Uh, three names of God, which, again, proof text for uh, the Trinity, God being not just one, but three in one. And uh, that's just a side note. That's uh, not necessarily part of the message, although good doctrine is, is important to, to declare. But Isaiah was called, and now he was able to hear the voice of the Lord. Uh, By the way, in 2020, God is still asking, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And God is still looking for people like Isaiah who would say, here am I, send me. Uh, Who can I send to the place that you work? Who can I send to the school that you go to? Who can I send to the neighborhood that you live in? Who can I send to a foreign land to get the gospel out And God is looking for some, like Isaiah, who would say, hey, my sin has been purged, I've been cleansed, and now I'm ready for you to send me. Please pick me. Isaiah was called. Then I think, or lastly, I want us to look at the fact that Isaiah was commissioned. Isaiah was commissioned. In verse number 9, as he volunteers to go, God then commissions him in verse number 9, and he says, go and tell this people. We too, as believers, have received a commission. It's often referred to as the Great Commission. It's found in all four of the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. As the Lord of glory has sent us as believers out of the world to be his witnesses. Regardless of where you get your paycheck, it doesn't matter. God wants us all to go and tell this people. Once Isaiah was confronted with who God was and was convicted of his sin and and, uh, cleansed of that sin and then he heard the call of God, he was willing to fulfill the commission of God and Isaiah did just what God told him to do. He was obedient to that commission. The question for us is, are we obedient to the great commission that God has given to us? Look, no matter what happens in the next couple months here in our country with covid which I know that it's on the radar again, or in the election, remember that God is still on the throne and we as as His people have been commissioned to go and tell this people about His saving grace. We have been given a mission to fulfill, and that is to carry the light of the gospel to the darkness. People still need the gospel regardless of who's in the White House. Look, if Donald Trump wins... People still need to be saved. We still need to get the gospel out. It's not going to fix the spiritual condition of our country. Uh, The only thing that's going to fix the spiritual condition of our country is if God's people are obedient to the commission that God's given us to go and tell this people. People still need the gospel. Your coworkers still need someone to share Christ with them through the way that you live and through the words of your lips. Classmates in your school still need to hear the truth of the gospel. Your neighbors still need to be saved. Our community still needs Jesus Christ. This world still needs the gospel. So let's be faithful to go and tell this people this week and throughout our lives, regardless of who our president is. Because remember, ultimately, God is still on the throne. Maybe you're here today and you need to be saved. You're not even a Christian. I want to remind us this morning that He is high and lifted up, and He is holy, 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 but He also loves you. And came to this earth on that very first Christmas in Bethlehem's manger through the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless and perfect life and then was crucified on the cross of Calvary. Just for you. He was then buried in a borrowed tomb, but three days later, up from the grave, He arose. His resurrection proved that He is who He said He was. God in human flesh. Deity robed in humanity. And he offers forgiveness of sin and eternity in a place called heaven to all those who would repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So friend, don't delay. You're not guaranteed another day. Just uh, I mentioned last Sunday that uh, we had a friend in California that passed away. Well, this week, another friend His wife passed away this week. Do you know when the day is that you're going to pass from this life? I think the answer is we don't know. But God does, and we need to be prepared for the day when we are. The Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Or maybe some who say, well, I'll just wait. I'll put it off until I understand it better. Look, I understand wanting to do some research, and, and, but, at, but at some point there needs to be a, a moment where you do place your faith in Christ. And I would encourage you to not delay too much because one day it will be eternally too late and you'll not have the opportunity to make that decision again. And so today if you're not saved please come to Christ while you can while you may. For those of us who are remember he's still on the throne. It doesn't I mean it matters what happens but ultimately no matter what happens he's still on the throne. And and because he is he's given us a call and a commission and let's be obedient to it. Uh, to get the gospel out into the regions beyond, including our own Jerusalem, in our own family, and in our own neighborhood, and our own uh, community. He's still on the throne. Aren't you glad that he is? But the one who's on the throne, he, his position is high and lifted up.